Hey guys, welcome back to Baby Got Backend. This is the podcast that deals with all the boring backend shit that you don't want to do or can't find the time to do in your photography business um, that has somewhat taken a turn uh, in this current state of the world to, hey, all the photographers in my life, let's talk about all the shit that we're dealing with right now and some ways to get through it. Today on the show, I'm joined by Cy Moore, and Cy is just such a fantastic, generous person who has a lot of insight into some ways that we can get through what's going on right now, um, specific to aircraft. Um, I would just give it a, a red hot listen. It's a real big one. So cue it up for your nice long, uh, you know, a dishwashing session or hanging the washing out because I'm not sure anyone's going on long drives at the moment. But if you are, hey, look, if you're lucky to leave, be able to leave the house and go do something, queuing up on the long drives. Um, but this is a really great chat uh, about this state of the world as much as it is about running a photography business. But we also talk about a few things like shooting film, some of the logistics around that, and just some other little good little chats. So enjoy this episode with Sai. And please, if you think of anyone who can benefit from this, share this podcast around, jump on iTunes, rate and review the show, and I'll see you next week. When the when the US goes down shortly, um, I do hope I hope the New York Times survives. I think, I think that's an interesting. I think we're yeah. What? How do we know what? How do we know what survives? You know, how do we? What's the yardstick that we have on that? You know, you were talking just before about um, about the looking at the previous history of things like this and what happened. Here's a yardstick. In our in our lifetimes, we've seen the end of the USSR, the British Empire, um, a shitload of things which which everyone who was involved with them thought these are forever, you know. And and think like history has seen that like these are the times when, like you look at like the the 15th 16th century plague stuff in the Austro-Hungarian mm. Empire and that sort of stuff. Like these are the these are the things which not, don't destroy a thing, but they put it under so much pressure. Or they or they sh- they show a weakness in leadership or a weakness in economic uh whatever the word is. A, the, having a you know having enough pocket money to get you through a rainy day. That mm. it's it shows up in this way. Or or they show you already social like if you took the US for example um six months ago you would say these guys are on some very shaky societal ground, massive division, crazy tribalism, yeah. enormous, yeah. enormous cultural and I don't believe in race, but but racial, for want of a better term, like racial division, which is immense. Holy shit! Let's hope that nothing like a global pandemic happens. Um, and then he, and then here you go. Which this this massive wedge to drive it in, which we, where you'll discover that people without healthcare and people without an economic fallback and people people who are working under the table in New York City for tips and all this sort of stuff of how their economy mm. works, and mm. uh, they've got two options: one, not survive; two, revolution. So. Stay tuned. Eh? It's very pretty interesting times. I think LA is always an interesting city because New York's a certain thing. What do you have, you know? But um, it's like another planet. But LA is like they're a lot more like us. And LA is a city that 
you think about the LA riots and the Rodney King thing and stuff, it didn't just, there's a level of simmering racial tension and how do you, did, did you ever read Judge Dredd comics when you were a kid? No, but I'm aware, I'm aware of the, the world that that, um, that, that, that is, I, I haven't, I haven't seen the film or read the comics, but I'm aware. Judge Dredd strikes me as being like an LA kind of thing, not a New York kind of thing, you know, yeah. you're just like, oh, you've got this massive sprawling megalopolis of 12 million people that takes up a huge amount of space. And, <clears throat> and unlike, unlike New York where the neighborhoods are small, like the neighborhoods are massive. And so, yeah, anyway, who knows? Interesting times. It's interesting times. Um, what a fun hey, time! What a fun time to be alive. Because that's a, a, a let's just start. I mean, like, hey, welcome to Baby Got Backhand. My name's Morgan Roberts, and um, I'm joined today by Simon Moore. How are you? I'm I'm, I'm very well, uh, but I'm only very well because prior to you starting to record this, we just had a big <laughs> event about everything going on in the world, and I feel yeah. I feel like I've got it out of my system. But I feel like though that that's you know these conversations are are good and important and. I feel like right now this is the the whole catalyst of, you know, before we started recording, we were having a conversation about reactions to this and the, the, the gamut of where we start, where you go, cool, we've got all this time on our hands. Let's be optimistic. And then fast forward five days to, oh shit, actually, you know, we might lose our house or not, not me personally, but that's, that is a thing that people could be thinking and doing and happening. And that's what's going on. And so, the reactions to that are, okay, you know, what's okay? And the middle ground, I feel, is, well, we can't just sit, well, we could just sit and get blind drunk and despair, but also being chipper about this is not, you know, I don't think ultimately helpful. And what do we, what do we actually do during the day to spend our time? And, Talking, I think, to everyone who's going through something similar, I feel is something at least on that list. So, yeah, yeah. There's a great, um, there's a great John Steinbeck quote about you know where he's like, he's like, worry, why worry? Don't worry, just do. And mm. it's 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 very. It seems when you're in the middle of your worries. Um, it actually makes a lot of sense. When you're not worrying, you think, oh, that's how could you possibly do that? But when you actually find yourself in a situation where you're like, holy shit, this is um, this is wild and this has a lot of consequences for me and for everyone I know, suddenly you find yourself just going, okay, just do what's the thing in front of me that I have to deal with and the next thing in front of me and the next thing in front of me. Mm. Um, and in some ways, that's why at times like these, it's great to have responsibility and it's great to have mm. things that you things that, the, that you've got to get done and, and of course by times like these we are talking about this current global pandemic that's rolling out at a wild rate and people are finding themselves in lockdown all over the world and i think especially the the thing that the biggest effect on everyone that we know is this idea of quarantine where people can people can no longer do what they were doing they no yeah. longer get paid they know there's all of these things you know um and that's that's the key thing i mean 
the big numbers that you see in the media constantly scrolling down your screen are how many people, how many thousands of people got infected today? How many thousands of people died today? How many thousands of people, are, millions of people are in lockdown? How many thousands of people lost their jobs? How many trillions of dollars were inserted into this problem? And so it's, it's the stream of these numbers that are so enormous, mm. it's impossible to get. But what everyone can get is you are inside for day 17. And mm. that's what you know, like you, your normal thing has stopped and you have a certain, you have a certainty of the walls around you, but you have an uncertainty of how do you sustain this? Because you know that you're not doing anything. The thing that struck me pretty quickly is that our connection, you know, people talking about social isolation and then, and then, you know, the conversation online going, no, it shouldn't be social isolation. It's physical isolation. We should be social. Um, and depending on the audience that you then have in that social sphere, what can you actually do with that audience? And sort of the thing that struck me was, I'm not sure, you know, in certain things, yes, the global or at least the, the national, the, the, the regional communities with, you know, um, certain information, oh, you know, this state now is locked down or this country now you have to do this, you can't go outside with more than X people and all those sort of things. Yes, those ha things have to be communicated on the broad scale. But the thing that occurred to me quite recently is like the, right now, this is the test of our small communities. This is, this is the test of how we can come together with the like-minded people that we have in our communities that know much more the rich detail of unique the unique experience that we're having you know family units um extended family units colleagues friends and and all those sort of circles and flexing that and relying on that falling back on that at this time seems to have you know i mean i i kept you know there was a few days there where i kept getting added to like artists australian artists groups going through coronavirus you know and there's like fifteen thousand people and they're like what the fuck am i going to do with this you know, this is, this is not productive. This is just, you know, it's just like shouting into the, into the ether, into the, into space, into nothingness. It's, it's, yeah, it's also like, um, some industries are very good at, at, at moving outside of their silo at Zoomy. They, they, they naturally, for whatever it is that they do, they are involved in society at a wide level and they naturally zoom out and they see the big picture. Other industries like the arts, are very bad at it and they're very good at focusing in on their silo and their silo is like, holy shit, I can't, I can't see how my life goes on. I can't see how this gets fixed. I, mm. What I need is I need someone to rescue me. And I think mm. the arts, creative industries struggle with the rescue factor where when mm. something goes wrong, they're like, because how many groups and things have you seen on, oh, on social media where it just tons, says, it's basically tons. just says, rescue us rescue us and yeah. which which is which i understand i understand the desperate situation that some people are in but also like um for example how how do photographers respond to this versus say economists yeah where, where you've, you have the ability you understand that your your industry and your practice um impacts a wide amount of people you have the ability to zoom out and just ask yourself okay, well, how does this work? How do recessions work? This has happened before. Pandemics have happened before. Like we haven't had a level of global shutdown like this, but we can probably figure out what will happen. Where does the money come from? What does it look like in three months, six months, 12 months, in this very methodical process? And the thing is though, that like economists do that, for example, economists do that because they have a practice of discipline that affects a lot of people. 
so the fuck do artists? We can mm. have the same zoom out ability to go, okay, how does this work? Like, what, how- when did we get so? When did we get so tribal and insular? Then, if I mean, I mean, and, you know, the, the the thing here is that the privilege that we have from this position, you know, we are uh, in our house, in our comfort. We have the internet. We have connections. I, you know, we are both. You know, we have been connected by the privilege of our our um, global and uh, regional, you're just in New Zealand, but, you know, our, our international community um, of people who are lucky enough to be paid by other people to go and make pictures for them at their special things and for their various things. And, and but, but, you know, you're, you're right. Where, where are we, where can we, where did we go so wrong when we have that reaction period of, ah, oh, help us? Um, and how can we, going and processing and working through that to actually, yes, let's, let's take that bigger picture view. Yeah. I mean, let me, let me drop something ruthless on you here, which probably yeah. people will smash before, but like, it's just, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I've been, I, I have, this, I have a habit of making massive sweeping statements and then getting smashed down for it. When you go, <laughs> but, and, and always, and always just defending myself by saying, but just think about it. Like just, th- yes. You know, and here's the thing. It's ego, right? At some stage artists and our, 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 our particular flavor of making art, like wedding photographers, we, we develop this enormous ego where we really think that we are incredibly special. And then something like this happens and we realize that we we thought we were an important brick in the way that life works. <laughs> yes. And we go, holy shit, I'm not a brick at all. I'm actually like just a handful of flour, like or whatever. And and it's and the thing garnish. It's, it's it's quite shocking to suddenly go, shit, all of this rock star ego I had two weeks ago, mm. I, I, I can't really do anything with it right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's it's I it's it's a really healthy reminder to just go, you need to have an accurate picture of who you are and how you fit into things and how that works. And act like that in the good times and the bad, you know. Yeah. Um it's it's there's lots of people who are in industries where they rub up they they rub up against people who let them know there's no un, in no uncertain terms that they are not an essential block of society. Or maybe they yeah. are, you know. But either way, they know whether they know who they are, they know where That's they stand. Right. And the they mechanism ha- is there that put, that that allows them to see where they, they fit in the they system. Have a, they have a healthy, realistic ego and understanding of, of who they are and, and how that works. Um, but when you're a small business owner or an entrepreneur in massive inverted commas or a, in an artist, and, and that's a Venn diagram of things that collide, you could end up in this isolated spot in the middle that that your ego somehow gets out of control and you think that you're you're a very special contributor, but it turns out that you know, maybe, maybe you're not. Um, and it's, and it's hard to know when you work in isolation, when you work on your own, when you're, when you're running a small business, when you're making art and you go inside your head, like artists do, um, and you, you, most artists struggle with the idea of, 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 um, you know, of, of self-fulfillment and satisfaction and all of these things that go together to make good art. Um, but you're doing it in isolation, you know, you're always comparing yourself to other people, you do all this mm. sort of stuff, very natural human stuff, but artists experience it turned up to 11 as opposed to, you know, an accountant probably experiences it turned up to two. Um, mm. All of these things, the trappers that you did. That's a statement I feel that you're going to get in trouble with down the track again. There we go. Oh, We've got two right? of those now. Let's well, let's see if we can get to 11 by the end of the podcast. Totally. I mean, <laughs> listen, all that says is that all that says about accountants is that they're very, they have a very stable and sensible understanding of where they yes. fit the world. Yes. But yeah, I, so, so that all of that I think means that like this risk, this idea of rescue me or this idea of like, holy shit, like someone needs to bail the artist out comes from a vibe, which 
yes, I mean, I'm not saying like art is. I'm the first cheerleader for saying that art is one of the vital building blocks of society. But at some stage, the people who make it, we might have just got our importance a little bit out of whack, you know? Um, yeah. Speaking from personal experience, I think I think it's interesting to take a step back and go, okay, so the, the, the framework through which you're seeing this is a product of the last, I, I would say, 10, 11 years. Um, you know, you, the two of you, so you run a photography business with your partner, with your wife. My wife. Yes. A lot Sophie. And so you've, you've been doing that for 11 years, right? 11 years, I say that's a pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Now, you also do workshops with other photographers. You've you've travelled. You shot weddings internationally, um, and of course, in your you know really ugly and boring home country of New Zealand, uh, <laughs> and and so absolutely horrific. And so I think through the, there's that initial there's that initial period with that we've been noticing with this pandemic response where there's that rescue me attitude and that's that's obviously understandable and i think we've all had that to some degree but i think going through your experience in that last 10 years you know we're as self basically self-driven community driven but self-driven artists creatives sometimes i just don't even think of myself as an artist because it's it's this what I'm doing is a service and the, how those two intersect I find is quite fascinating. So you've got that you've got that sphere through which you've had that experience of going cool. I'm making all this. I'm adapting. I'm bringing these skills to these sort of skills, the creative skills, the art skills, the business skills, the understanding of all these things and put together. And so I think that that is the platform from which you're now able to tackle this and go. Okay, cool. So we've been doing this for ten, eleven years. Um, you know, how quickly do we move past the rescue me phase? You know, yeah, I, it's it, that artist thing is interesting. Eh? Look, I think um, I, when I, whenever I say artist, I always you know it's a massive inverted commas because I know there's a certain wankiness to it. But it, it, I think it's, yeah. it's at a basic level, it's just like if you make something out of nothing, if you're a, which is what being a creator is, you know. Um, and I'm not talking about being a content creator you know it's just making something out of nothing you're an artist you know a potter takes a hunk of clay and then turn a thing into a new thing it doesn't matter how good a potter you are it just matters that you make something out of nothing and i think um what we do with with what we make is is certainly i mean we we shoot people in love in whatever form they come um doing whatever it is that they're doing and to celebrate their commitment and, and to market in a certain way. You know, we do the remembering for them, but we're still making something out of nothing. Um, we're going, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll show up and we'll do this thing. And a lot of it is, is, is reportage and is documentary. And, and as I'm always saying to, to people at workshops, the majority of this would have, would have happened if you weren't there. So it's not like you made this. So you can't, no. it's like you can't take credit for it. But so long as you're doing something at some, some part of the day that you made with some other people, that you made with a couple, that, you, that wouldn't have happened if you weren't there, then you're an artist. And I think that's a really key thing, like to, to go even to just feel satisfied in your practice and your art practice as you move forward. You have to be making something out of nothing. You have to be creating to feel, um, to feel like you are, 
you know, you've, you've got a place to feel like you belong, to feel like you're, you're an, an important part of society. You know, if you're just documenting while you're, you're doing a very good job of remembering the stuff for people, the stuff would still have happened, you know, but if, mm. if you, if you're making something like, you know, that, that's all just to deal with the, the, when you say artists, what you're talking about. Um, now I don't even know what we're talking about, but it, it, I, well, I just feel like there's that interesting, you know, cause we were talking, we're talking about that reaction, how we actually as a community can say, what, well, what do we do now? Like, what's the next step? Um, you've had that, you know, we, you know, I've been yeah. doing this, I guess for about eight years. Um, what the, all the frameworks and all look, the things that we, so all young, the tools bro. that we have at our so disposal. Young. You look so young, so fresh. Eight years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I've got two kids, mates. <laughs> the children keep you young. I've heard that. Oh, apparently, I think that that's true. Actually, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't sit here and and um, complain. I'm certainly not. Um, but yeah, I think like we've had this experience that we're able to have all these tools to pull on. And um, you know, mutual friend of ours, Ollie Sansom, talks about. You know, often we'll we'll mention things like you know we stand on the shoulders of giants. Our industry, we're standing yeah. on over a century of of not only um, technical and gear-related things and development, but in terms of also that business and entrepreneur space of like all the little, all the bits of the pie that we've taken from that, like the tools that we have to communicate. And that's basically what we are. We are communicators. Um, we communicate whatever we want to communicate, whether it be love or whether it be, um, you know, look at this thing happening on the street or look at this abstract concept, but that's what we are. And I think having all these tools is like, Cool. So what are some things that we've been doing to process through this and work through this for how fuck long this happens? Here's the thing. If you if you showed up at my door panicking right now, one, we're in an isolation bubble, so I wouldn't be able to leave. So didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, two, no, like, like panicking, what what the hell, what happens? I would be like, Morgan, Morgs, listen. You're, I'm one, listening. One, you're good at what you do. Two, which is a, an important thing to remember, you're good at what you do. Um, two, you – you make work, you make art, you do a thing, the people that you do it with are people in love. If there's the most resilient thing in history is people in love. Mm. You are in the number mm. one situation um, that will go on and on and on and on. Do not worry. Like the thing, take your energy of worry and turn it into how do you pivot? What does this look like now? How do people keep doing this in love thing? What do you, you know, it's just like... Mm. Lots and lots of photographers are like, sweet, how do I now sell something, educational products to other photographers, which is kind of one, it's great, that's great if it works for you. But in some ways, that it still ignores the key driver for our industry is people in love. You know, the money comes from people in love. Where do people in love get their money from? That's the thing that you should be concerned with right now. Not like... Mm. If you have a think about um, selling educational products, what you're doing is you're you're putting yourself even further down the chain. <laughs> put yourself yeah, put yourself absolutely. higher. Put yourself higher in the chain. What do because you know are, who are the people? Who are your customers? Your customers are just like you. Your customers are also the people that are going. Yeah. Fuck! What I'm going to do now? I better sell some workshops to the all the oh fuck all the people that are also broke like me or don't have any work on the books for the next now, six months. Now, so now, now, you know, now, like saying, saying that, that that stuff, <laughs> educational stuff is, is important, and and there's Totally. It, it, it helps. It is an enormous help for people to go. I don't know what to do. Someone help me to figure out how to get ahead. Um, but if if you stop, if you've got a little bit of experience, if you stop for a second, just think, okay, pe- my game is people in love, and people in love are one. They're incredibly resilient. Two. The thing that drives them being in love doesn't stop, regardless of 
the circumstances of life, right? Holy crap. No. So, you know, which you could just say, well, that's them being resilient. Um, but three, they still want to celebrate their love in some way, in some form, in some fashion. It's like, you're fine. It's okay. That catch your breath. The world, it's like if someone, if the world had gone vegan and you were a pig farmer, yes, you could be worried, right? <laughs> because mm. yeah. because yes. it's like, holy crap, you're, you're in big trouble. But, um, you know, people in love are, are strong, are resilient, and they've always forged ahead. And this stuff that we're going through right now, like crazy global upheaval, yes, it moves. It, this is moving faster than anyone ever thought because mm. we're, we've got a very connected world that we've never had before. But everything else... All the other things, the economic things, the sickness things, the tragic things and the happy things and the, the togetherness things, these are very normal human experiences that people mm. have navigated before. So the first thing is if you're panicking, you'll be fine. It's really tough. There's, there's a million tough things to, to figure out, but you, you, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You can, we can figure this out. You can figure this out. You, you know, you can make a plan. You can figure this out. You do a thing with people who are very resilient, who have, who, and who are very passionate. You'll, mm. You you can figure it out. I'd like to take a step back six months, a year ago and ask where the two of you were roughly a year ago. Do you, do you, do you, do you remember? I could tell. This you. is not a load of questions. Like I'm, I didn't, I didn't figure this out by your Instagram and like write it down. And then this is not a test. Like this Hang is, a, on, this I'm is just, a genuine question. <laughs> I'm just scrolling back. I'm scrolling back through. Oh, do you know where I was uh, a year ago? Right now, I was on a flight to Nice from Doha <laughs> to Nice to speak at way up north in Cannes, mm. France. That's quite amazing. Funny. Um, that's so funny because yeah, that's such so, a thing that is like name name one fucking thing that you absolutely cannot do right now. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and our, our dear friends at White North, you know, Cole, Cole and Jakob who put that on. Like Cole is like, um, he's had to just just cancel. Copenhagen way up north that we were supposed to be at in a couple of weeks mm. obviously because you know hello yeah no one can no one can be there no one can get there it's, it's sort of wild times but um yeah and they are instead running an pretty incredible series of online things of people who are going to be at that talking about about how quarantine works and all this sort of stuff you know um mm. what's what's funny is that like you like in our part of the world, and 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 in the, in what I call the new countries, the US would be part of that. This is kind of like holy shit! This is the first time we've experienced this this a crazy thing. I mean, it's not really, but um, but if you're if you're in a European context, you look around at some of the buildings and you sort of have a sense of these buildings have seen some crazy shit, some crazy wars, and some pan- pandemics, and the plague, and all sort of stuff. And it's like, and and Copenhagen's still going. Good job, you know. Mm. So th- mm. there's there's a certain sense of like, okay, like that that this isn't going to destroy you, and how you respond to it is 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 is, is very important. Um, th- there's a yeah, th- I think thinking about how art works in times like this is a really vital situation. If you want, I mean, we talked earlier about about the idea of how um, you know artists and ego and us getting a, a, a a, a wrong sense of, of how important we are or how special mm. we are in society can, can lead to you having a, you know, just, just a bad idea of how you fit in so that when you hit like a, a, a problem like this, suddenly you really don't know where you fit in. But mm. 
you do you, you look down through history and you do see like we always talk about this in workshop stuff like that there is there's sort of five percent of the world who 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 feel things in their heart a lot deeper than everyone else does you know mm. uh, for a whole lot of reasons and and that's those are the artists what i call the artist class people who make something out of nothing people who experience things and their heart hangs on to the feeling you know um and and the way we always describe it is if you imagine going through like right from from being like the measuring game all the way through from being like a baby right through to being in a corporate job somewhere, like all the way through that game, you are, are being asked if you measure up and you're being, someone else is measuring you to be like, do you, can you go on to the next stage? Whether it's a pediatrician measuring a little baby, whether it's like getting your pen license when you're six years old at school, you know, <laughs> um, whether, whether it's, whether it's, passing a test when you're at high school or graduating from university or, or fronting up to your first corporate job. Like there's this constant measuring that goes on and that shit wears a person down that wears mm. your heart down and it wears your mind down to the point where you can find yourself at 50 years old and in a corporate job for forever. And you're just the way you've coped with the constant measurement is you just numb yourself down. And then what happens is some, mm. a song comes on the radio that, describes what it feels like to have a broken heart when you were 22 or whatever and you're in traffic and you're sitting in the car and you're just weeping your eyes out because you're like shit that i forgot what it felt like to feel but the person the artist who wrote that song they're doing the feeling for me they're like they're unashamedly wearing their heart on their sleeve and it's the same thing when someone stands in a gallery and they look at a painting or they look at an image you know they look at a nan golden image from a debauched party in new york and mm. whatever in the in the bloody early 70s and they see this thing and they see them and they see the tragedy and the happiness and the brokenheartedness and what it felt like to be 18 and to just not give a fuck about responsibility or anything. And they get the same thing. And like this, this is how I think if you want to understand, if you're an artist and you want to understand how you fit in, realize that you do the feeling for society because lots of society are just dealing with everyday shit. That means that they shut their feelings down. You, you might, you might wonder why, you know, you'll look at a fucking sunset, albeit a movie, and you're you're weeping and you just can't control it. And everyone else around you is just like, who's the fucking weirdo? Like, it's because mm. you've got an artist, that, you've got a heart that, 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 that is fresh and you've got a heart that stayed tender and you've got a heart that's refused to be numbed down. And that's the vital role you play in society. You make stuff that reminds people how to feel. That's your number one job and so if you think if you really want to call yourself an artist you make something out of nothing and you help people to remember what it's like to feel these are your times these are your times like this is when you fit into society by making stuff by doing things that are just like hey your heart might not know what it feels like to respond to this overwhelming fucking mind fuck of a tragic global tragedy going on right now so let me make something that helps you to understand how to feel that that understand or that understands how to escape that or that like this like we have a vital role right now we fit into society into this vital way to help hearts come alive and stay alive to this present moment and it's it's like the last thing you want to do if you're an artist is be numbing yourself down and be drinking yourself to to death in the backyard or to be screaming out for society to rescue you put your gloves on or your mask on or put your whatever it is on that mm. you do your work, get down and start to work. 
Allow yourself an hour a day to solve the problems of the pandemic. Allow yourself another hour of the day to just worry about all the things you've got to worry about and then turn that off and get to work. Right now, art could save us. Like, fucking get on with it. I don't think I took a breath here for about seven No, months. No, I feel like that's probably – that's almost like the single best um, piece of audio I think I've ever – you know, got out of someone. Um, Lol. so I should just quit, quit podcasting now. Um, that's it. That's it. Game over. Um, golden point in the 2015 NRL grand final. <laughs> did I get the right, did I get the right year? Um, I don't know. Uh, sports fans will tell me in the comments, but I think that's, that's totally, that's totally right. Like we, the, the, I found pretty quickly that that hit me. It's like, w- what's okay to think now? Like how, what's okay to feel now? It's like, do I get stuck into something? Do I freak out? Do I talk? And then you're like, well, no, we do all of those things, but we have to just do something. We have to do something. We can't just do nothing. So how you pivot is so critical. I've, I'm fascinated in how through that, that manifesto that you just delivered, how does that reconcile with, um, uh, with the, the two of you guys, you know, like, what are you, I mean, you know, New Zealand, you're in New Zealand right now. Do you want to tell me just a bit about, um, tell everyone a bit about exactly what's happening in terms of the, the super strict, uh, and yeah, lockdown I mean, we're, there? We're in, we're in, um, I mean, actually, let me, let me backtrack like two weeks. So mm. we've, we've been, mm. we've probably been tracking this, this virus situation as far as our business goes for like about six weeks, a month, six weeks, right? Going, oh, this is going to seriously impact, um, our Northern Hemisphere stuff. So mm-hmm. um, the first thing is like we, I mean, next weekend we um, would have a wedding in Portugal and then the weekend mm. after we'll be way up north in Copenhagen. So that's the, sort of the first of that stuff. Along with we, we are currently in our absolutely cranking busiest late summer, early autumn wedding season right here when we, we shoot a lot of stuff because we, we like to shoot the light this time of year as opposed to the middle of summer. So we book quite heavily this time of year. So um, we're staring down the barrel of a whole bunch of stuff and then a whole bunch of travel. And we're like, oh, this is going to impact us. Once we started getting couples saying, hey, um, half of my guests can't come to the wedding now. So, um, yo, you know. Um, and, then, yeah. and then when you start seeing empty chairs at weddings and then you start practicing social distancing at weddings and then when you, like you have, your, we had our first couple cancel when they were like, we can't, um, they, were in, they were from Singapore and they are like, we can't come because, um, you know, our, our our employees have said that if we leave the country right now, we'll lose our jobs. So we have to stay. Um, and then really quickly it escalated to being like, like last, not the weekend just gone, but the one before that we shot two weddings and it, it, everyone was extremely nervous and extremely aware of, of keeping their distance and extreme where both couples had said, Hey, if you've got any illness or sickness at all, do not come. If you've just arrived from overseas, do not come. And, and both of them had massive amounts of guests arriving. From mm. Um, and then so- I, I'm, I'm finding it crazy that I, like literally last weekend I shot a wedding, um, down in, you know, middle of New South Wales coast and just an hour South of Coffs Harbor. And I was amazed even that then that that, was happening. I was just like, this we, feels strange. Yeah, we were we were very much like we we shouldn't be those t- those last two we shot. We're like we shouldn't probably shouldn't be doing this. It, mm. feels, it feels irresponsible. And then that Monday we shot on the Sunday, and on that Monday we're gathered around, 
you know, the laptop at our office with a bunch of other people watching Jacinda make a lunchtime announcement saying, hey, we're, um, he, here's, a, here's a, a system of rating the level of alert that we need to be at. And then we're currently at, um, at alert level three out of four. And on Wednesday, we're going to go into level four and we're going to shut the country down completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was just like we'd gone from being in a wedding headspace of going, something's really, really, really not right, to the next day having, um, you know, having our prime minister, an incredible leader, incredible young woman, um, who's like the same age as Soph, you know, but always reminded of that, just stand up and yeah. go, okay, you know, we've, we've this is hard, but this is what needs to happen yeah, now, and let's, let's do like, it. We've been we've been busy figuring out how to do this. If you think that you haven't heard from us, it's because we've been figuring out how to do this, and this is what we're going to do, and we can do this. Um, and yeah, and shut it down. Now, having said that, comparing our response to, to to the rest of the world, like it's very easy in a small country with not many people for um, for for mum to say, "Hey, kids, get in the back of the car, shut the fuck up, and we're going on a road trip," right? Because that's basically what New Zealand is. Like, you know, Jacinda's driving, and we're all in the back seat. And every now and then, if we make some noise, she shows us, she, she throws us a pack of chips, and we're like, "Sure thing." Um, I mean, the amount of the amount of chat on you know on in my circles on Facebook, it's like, oh, can we have her? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, she's like, that wouldn't even work. Yeah. I mean, she's magnificent, but also we have a very simple, a small country with a very, totally very simple system. And, and when you're, when you're a country like your country, like the U S where you have a federal government and state governments and city governments and all this, all these layers of stuff, it's very, very difficult for someone to go, okay, kids, we're going to turn the, turn the switch to off. Can you believe that we had a uh, local, like a statewide, not state government election, but we had local government elections on the 28th of March, like three days ago? Just like who, like who cares about people right now? You know, it's like, like, I I was, I cared quite a lot. Like I had like quite a lot of stakes in it. I was, I actually did some pro bono work for one of the candidates, not in my ward, but um, just, just by the by. So I was actually following it quite closely, but I was just like, how the fuck how the fuck is this happening? And, and, and why is this not like, let's delay the count two weeks and please come in, you know, pre-poll more places spaced out, you know, like it was happening for two weeks before the actual election day. It was ridiculous. Um, it's yeah. Like I, I think all of that stuff is to illustrate like, so this, the, the situation that we're in is, you know, we, we're totally shut down. We're on day five of, of, of a month of this. And it's probably going to be six weeks to be honest. You know, I think everyone's like, seriously, it's going to be, um, it's going to be, be a while. it's going to be a while. Um, and we're, we're super lucky that we're in a small country. We live on an Island and we have a very decisive government. And also that, that the government's been very generous in taking very good care of everyone financially and by putting a lot of things in place. Um, so that's, that's that, you know, that, that's the sitch. So we're, but we're in the situation of going, okay, no, at the, at all of our late summer weddings canceled, obviously or postponed. Um, and then all of our Northern hemisphere stuff canceled or postponed. All the postponement dates are, about a year away because there was this huge immense sense of, of not knowing hanging over the whole thing. No one wants uh, to postpone for six months. Like yeah. it's fair enough. And it's, and, fair enough. and so it's, it's like, cool, we, we're, we're, we're pushing this stuff out. So then what do we, what do we do and how does this work? And th- there is a beautiful distraction of, um, of, you know, you've got a big editing queue. So you just get, you just knuckle down, you edit, but also at the same time, you're just going, okay, what we're going, what does this look like? in the future 
in, in, in the in the near future and in the and in the in the not too distant future, you know, in a couple of years' time, mm. what changes? How does society change? How do we change with how we do these things that we do? And 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 we and we're just about okay. We'll, we'll we'll just start pivoting towards whatever we think that looks like now. Do you think that this is you know people talk about um the you know we were talking before about the the United States. It's like look at look at what builds up to this. It doesn't just happen overnight. Look at what is building up to uh, this this turning point. And we're looking at these institutions and these these things that have been around for so long that people just consider, oh, well, this is how we do it forever and it'll never die. Um, do you think, you know, in a way, this could be the catalyst for um, a lot of things being more sustainable, but let's just take our own insular little view of what we do and how we fit into this into this crazy world. But the wedding industry is this the, is this what finally makes the wedding industry more sustainable? I mean, it, like, here's the thing about distilling it to some degree. The thing about change goes like this, right? Like, um, like no one ever wants to change. No one ever like wants to move forward. Change. Everyone always thinks that however things are now is how they will always be. And when something comes along that changes it, they're like, "When will things go back to normal?" People love to mm. talk about things going back to normal or normal. Mm. Well, like, they don't. This this is this is all through history. This is how people change things, and they figure out. Someone goes, "Oh shit, we'll figure it out. We'll do we'll do things a different way." We'll you know, and everyone else is like, "But things can never change." You know, we have to get it back. <laughs> Well, they don't think people just move forward and they move ahead. Like, yes, the wedding industry could become more sustainable. The world could become more sustainable. There's a lot of things about this that let's say, let's say people don't travel internationally for two years. Let's just say that as, as you know, mm. to, to be, what I mean, does that I, look like? I think in New Zealand right now, we wouldn't be shocked by that, but maybe in the States they would because they're still adjusting to, holy shit, there's a pandemic. Um, but yeah, let's say that people don't travel for two, for two years. Well, then all the infrastructure that moved us around the world, what happens to that? All the attitudes that, that, that you know, we, we were probably a little bit like privileged to go, um, you know, yes, it is my absolute right um, to travel around the world and I should be able to do it whenever I want and however I want. Mm. All of those mm. attitudes go away. People become a lot more cautious, a lot more nervous about people from somewhere else. Um, mm. Things get maybe a little bit more, even more nationalistic than they already are. It's a bit, it's a bit scary. But the bottom line is that people just get used to a different way of doing things. Inside their head, they adjust. Even when we are able to go back to normal, people won't want to go back to normal. They'll have moved into a new headspace. It's like, here's, I, I think like in history, our species, our memories are very short, but our emotions are very long. And long after we've forgotten what happened, the facts of what happened here this year, our hearts will still remember with a certain unease when someone from another country shows up at the front door, or when mm. you know it's and and it, it's that emotion. That emotion is what we what we're dealing in. You know the facts and the headspace, and we already know we live in a post truth situation now. You know the facts don't really matter. You know, and we'll forget the facts. History people forget history so quickly, mm. but we will our heart, we will remember the feeling of unease will remember the feeling of suddenly feeling like we didn't have any financial security or health security or whatever we'll remember those things and they will affect how we gather and how we celebrate and how we move people around the world and how we how people fall in love and like have a think about the amount of people who'll fall both in and out of love during even just this lockdown that we're in in New Zealand like four weeks of this how many babies will be conceived how many mm. arguments will be had how many people will 
will sneak out of their lockdown to see their boyfriend or girlfriend down the street. How many, like all of these things, you know, love goes on, love forges ahead, people fall in love and out of love and it all sort of, but I think our, our hearts will remember what this feels like and we will, our society will change. And some of that change might be, you know, the sustainability thing. Um, and some of that change might just be as simple as like, we just do things inside our own borders for a long time. Who knows? Mm. Our expectations change. All of these things, like like weddings go from being like like a massive, you know, big, you know, show off to your friends, big fuck you event, once in a lifetime thing, to being a, a, something else, a different kind of celebration that still you gather all the people that you love together, but it's not a thing that people get on planes and fly around the world for. They just go, okay, mm. we've, we, we got out of that habit, maybe, or maybe not, who knows? Who but, knows? But things like things definitely will, things definitely will, will, change but the, the big thing is that we won't stop doing this we won't stop mm. doing these things um one of the other things is like you know talk to any economist at any time they are they'll always just say where does the money come from about anything mm. if you're answering mm. any bloody thing any problem where does the money come from and that's the other thing where does the money come from if people are losing their jobs and there's a recession and they and they they are whatever you know they they still do the same things but they just do them less bling they still gather a hundred and you don't have less friends because you've got less money. Yeah. You just, you just gather them together in a different way. You still got 150 crazy mates that you want at a party, but you're eating sausages and bread, you're drinking beer and you're bloody going nuts. And when it, when it pours with rain during your ceremony, you don't have an expensive clear roof marquee over your head. It's just, you just get wet, but it's like, it's, so all of these things still happen in this, in the same way, you know, mm, mm. Um, they're just, they're just a bit less. Do you, you know, just going back to, we're talking 10, 11 years that the two of you have been running Bailey and Moore, you know, I mean, what, you know, immediately, what have you been up to for the past week and what have you planned for the next couple of weeks? Like, what's your editing queue? Like, what's your, what's your to-do list of rainy day shit to sort out? Like, you know, I know I've got some file management stuff that I want to clean up. I was thinking about getting into dot photon and like clearing up some raw file space and emptying hard drives and just you know what is the next we're talking big we were talking big picture for so long and i'd like let's look at small picture what what are you the two of you doing in your studio to fix this and sort this ride this out i mean we're just we're we're doing all the practical things of like like we have um we own this other furniture hire business and we have our office there as well and Mm. so we've got the things of like dealing with a commercial landlord um, yeah, okay. de- dealing with a property that's that's currently shut up, dealing with a business with, that's got a couple of other brilliant employees who currently are at home sitting on their hands, trying to keep all of those pe- guys like motivated and doing stuff, mm. figuring out what the hell happens. Do events ever happen again? You know, it's, we've got two businesses in the event industry. Um, but yeah, even just the practical things of like, you know, I'm sitting here in the window looking out at the sea by where we live, um, getting emails from our commercial landlord, um, with offer and counter offer of about how we're going to try and navigate this, um, mm. you know, um, and and so those are those are like the very real. I think if you know if you hear me talking about this other stuff about being ah oh, stop asking to be rescued, you know, we're dealing with some very real finance, very real things um, mm. at, 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 at the same time. But also it's just like hey, we've we've got we've got wonderful weddings that we've shot in the editing queue to to to, to smash through. Um, the, our last day of being able to post stuff. Out of courier stuff was on Wednesday, and Wednesday, <gasps> I, Wednesday, I couriered like a, a a shitload of um of film from a brilliant wedding we shot um like you know the week before off to the lab in in 
LA. Um, you know, so it, it, all that sort of stuff. Oh, still, which lab do you use? Richard, Richard Photo. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. Yep, but, yep. but then also, we also have a very great partnership with, um, with Atkins in Adelaide, with Kate and, Kate and Paul. So yep. dep- depending on what, the, depending on what the stuff is, um, it, it goes, it goes to one or the other. Some of, um, you know, some of my like personal stuff goes to like, goes to Kate and Paul and along with some wedding stuff. It's just, it's kind of like one of those things of, um, of trying to back whatever's going on in the, in the postal system at the moment. Sometimes mm. the Australian postal system can be a challenge for us. Um, but I would say that like, Mate, I live here and it's oh, a challenge yeah. for me. The amount of shit that goes missing that people try and send to me is, you I, know, I, I would say that there are probably, um, there are probably three labs worthwhile in the world. I mean, I can add some more to it, but I'll just be ruthless. Cause you know, that's what everyone wants. Ruthless. Um, yeah. Like Atkins, Atkins and Adelaide are a world-class, absolutely kick-ass lab without doubt. And there aren't many like that. Uh, Richard photo in LA is, is equal on a par and indie film in Alabama Mm. Um, on a part of it, Josh Motes. Josh Motes knows what he's doing. And when you know the people behind these labs, you're suddenly just like, I know what it takes to run a good lab based on being friends with these people. And holy shit, I, why do you do it? But I love you for it. But why do you do it? What um, do you think it takes to run a good lab? Oh, you, you have to you have to give a shit about, about, your, about being an important – because when you run a lab, you are – the people that you work with, like the artists that you work with, the photographers you work with, you are their number one partner. Like you are the, you know, like you're more of an important partner than fucking Kodak or Fuji who make the film. You're, you're like, you're like the number one. If you cock it up, then they don't like the thing that they're trying to do doesn't get realized. Um, Mm. And if you get it right and you understand what they're trying to do um, and you absolutely nail it, you make them look far better than they should look. You know, Atkins, both Atkins and Richards have made me look far better than I should look over the years. You know, <laughs> I, and, and, and people people give you people give you plaudits for for your work and all this sort of stuff, and you're just like, holy shit! Like, can I? When they do, you're just like, can I just tell you how important it is to get a good lab? And you, mm. someone will show you their work, and you'll just be the first thing you say is like, who's your lab? Like what? And and they're like, oh, I've been swapping between labs for years. I try to roll with this lab and I roll with that lab, and blah 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 blah. And I did some stuff. You're just like, listen, just knuckle down and start with someone. Get a learning curve and figure it out. And here's you should actually start with one of these three labs. Just get on with it. But it's, mm. yeah, it's, it's it's a really really important relationship. Um, if you have a look at at at, at the the level of understanding of an artist involved you've, you've just got to be in the scanning room at, at some at atkins or at richard to see the vast difference of work that's coming through the doors that all these all of these cats are scanning for and dealing with and development and in, in the scan stage to just go shit like how do you get inside someone's head to really nail the stuff that they're trying to nail in a certain way because you'll see you know like I, I think we we were on a site visit once at like at at, at, at Richard at a lab visit, and um, and Jose Jose Villa's weekend wedding came in, you know, mm. of like an absurd absurd amount of roles, um, and you just start to realise like how do you guys even give me the time of day when this is the volume of stuff this one person is smashing through every week. Like you could just have all your staff working on his stuff, you know, mm. do. but, um, and you know, and, and, and the same thing, like, at, like, like at Atkins where you're just like, you'll get like 
you'll get like a bloody late night email um, of, from someone who's just like, hey, notice that like this particular camera that you're using, which we're pretty sure is this, um, is scratching every third roll over on this side and it's a bit deep. And we've retouched it out for you, but like get the fucking rollers clean, you dipshit. Like, <laughs> and, 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 stuff, and just stuff like, and it's probably like the level of, the level of um, even Kate just, just going, being able to diagnose it and say, okay, it's doing it on every X amount of roll like this. It's yeah. like this thing. Yeah. It's probably this. Go fix this. And you go and you, you fix it. And you're just like, how did you know? Like shit. So like there's, there's just a level of engagement with you, which I think in the modern digital world, people don't need to have, you know, and, and so that, that they're so willing to be devoted to this incredible analog medium that they just, they just, they're in, they're just in freaking balls and all with you, you know? Um, when did, when do you decide to shoot film? Like where, where do you reconcile when to shoot this? Um, do you ever charge extra for that at a specific job or not? Or how, what, like what's the decision process? Um, at a logistical level with, with shooting film for I mean, for to, you. To, to, to backtrack on that a little bit or to zoom out from that, like we, we are very lucky to shoot, to have an audience of people who love the same stuff that we love and who, mm. are, who are like us, you know. So, but that, that's also the privilege of having been in the game for a long time where if you can stay mm. consistent, eventually you look up one day and everyone around you just loves the same shit. They're just they're, – mm. they're your people. They're like you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we, we – we love it. Like we love the look of film. I, I think a bunch of years ago, probably in, I don't know, 2012 when, when the photography world was in its um, peach, peach skin tones stage. Seemed yeah. to roll around about every three years though. And we were just, we were aghast. We were just like, this is, this is the most regrettable thing going on right here. I can imagine. Um, and we started to shoot a lot of film then like I'd shoot like a roll of, at least one roll of 35 at every wedding on a 1V because you, you're using the same lenses that, that we use. Yeah, so easy. Yeah, and, and so we use it like we use it just solely to be like, how do we make sure that we produce work? Because we all of our references are, are, are classic legacy, you know, photographers like, you know, mm. Fred Herzog and Saul Leiter and, you know, mm. Um, mm. Richard, Richard Avedon and all sorts of stuff. And you'd look mm. at this, this color style and just go, shit, we just want our work to look like that. That looks amazing. We just want the color to be like that not not this heavily processed heavily whatever kind of vibe you know and so we just i started shooting a roll of film at every wedding as a color reference to be like we want it to look like portra 400 when it's at its absolute best so we just started to do that and to be like shit this this makes sure we have a north that we don't it's kind of like shooting a gray card at, at a wedding you know yeah like, totally like old school yep. you said to go ah oh, shit that's what it actually looked like you know in the world of automatic white balance but it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of stuff about how you calibrate yourself like calibration to color and tone and composition what you're feeding yourself i mean we're into we're going to get into creative diet stuff you know before you know it but like um i i think that that analog idea is that just this shit just looks it looks really wonderful like I, I love how 35 and 120 looks in in certain film stocks and I want everything else to look like that. And so we shoot the stuff hand in hand with digital stuff. It's not like it's, it's 
it's one thing or another. But it's also lots of lots of it is the analog process, enjoying enjoying like a slower feedback loop, enjoying pre-visualizing, enjoying using a weird old machine that means that you're all just like shit. Let's roll the dice. And and our couples, the kind of people that we shoot, also enjoy that. They 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 love the same thing. So it's not like we're going to roll out the film thing now. You know, uh, it's it's more just like lots of our couples. It's it's a given. They expect it. Some some might be like we just shot this wonderful couple from like like New Zealanders living in New York who came back home to get married and and like um you know like M is an incredible photographer um and shoots a shitload of mm. Jordan is like an industrial designer and you know also like shoots a shitload of stuff and they were just like oh we just want to shoot everything on film um you know on some weird old machines and we're like okay. Sweet, sounds, sounds fantastic. Um, so it's, it's you know it's just like like we're not like okay why would you want to do that? We're just like I, we totally get why you would want to do that. You know. Yep. Um. And yep. So we'll just we'll do that. And, you know. Um. So it's it's kind of it's more just like we love it. Other people love it, and we our pricing structure is um. It, I mean it's it's recently got way more expensive, based on the film stocks getting more expensive. Mm, um, mm. And we we used to be able to sort of go, hey, you know, the cost to shoot a shoot a wedding is about the same, whether we mix if we mix in a bit of film, or if we do it all film, or like it works out at about the same. When you add up all of the, and I know like wedding photographers love to just go, no, it's not, that's not possible. And you're like, okay, well, if you just think about the amount of time you spend doing file management and editing and that sort of stuff, yeah, if it becomes the lab's problem, then suddenly all of your time and your resource is going at the lab. And you've bought the stock and you've shot this thing. Like I think, I think you have to stop thinking about it as an expense, pure yeah. and simple. And instead of, oh no, I'm outsourcing this emotional work and this creative work. Like, and and you're you're outsourcing it enormously. You know, like the film, yeah, the, film the film stock, the film stock, the lab, yes. the lab does the thing. Um, but I think it's it's recently the scales have been tipped the other way, where you do have to charge a bit more for shooting film. Otherwise, you're going to go, you're going to go broke you know yeah, um, fuck yeah but when- I, I had these lofty ideals like i picked up I, I, a few years ago i picked up an f100 because of the same thing you know you shooting on a 1v like it's great um and i picked up an f100 and then last year uh, my uncle um texted me and said hey i've got this f5 i mean so I, it was fucking immaculate this thing it didn't power on but it was immaculate like the thing looked like it had come out of the nikon factory in 2001 right um so I sent it to my I sent it to my repairer and they uh, sent it away and yeah they found a fuse on the main power control board and it cost me about three hundred bucks but now I basically have an immaculate Nikon F five and an F one hundred with all the lenses that I have so I have the same sort of thing I can just pull it out let's do this let's shoot a roller trix push three stops at this wedding or whatever the fuck it is like it's just it's just happy days like the the ceiling and the the flex that you have because it's still quite rare. Like, you know, you mentioned Jose Villa before, but no one, or Villa, sorry, you pronounce, but like, no, you know, most people are not doing this. Yeah. It's, it's because one, because it's, um, it's hard. Like it's, and, and people's expectations have moved from, um, people's expectations of, of what they'll get have, have moved on. So I think to address one, the hard, the hard thing. So, like which is really feedback loop stuff most people most photographers don't meter they just look at the screen which is entirely 
it makes sense and it, it's it, it's entirely right to do. You don't mm. look at the meter thing inside your camera. You 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 look at the back of the screen because it takes it's real fast. You go boom, and and most people are testing their ideas um, with an instant feedback loop to just be like before they even think about a thing, they're just like, I wonder what the camera sees. What does the camera tell me? What does the camera see? What is, how does the camera see this light? How does the camera see this composition? How does, so all of those things. So so it's, it's this constant instant feedback loop. So their creative process is built on an instant feedback loop, which is which is right, is how it should be and is the wonderful tool that's been given to us. So, that, so, so it's a very different process when you have to internalize this whole thing and you don't give me feedback. You have to really know what you're what your film stock can do to be able to just think, okay, I know how this will turn out. Um, but also people's expectations have changed dramatically about what you deliver. Like they expect, they expect a level of perfection in every image and every frame. Um, that's, that's very difficult to achieve on film. In fact, almost impossible. And you really can't play percentage tennis if you've got 20 rolls to shoot a wedding on, you know? Yeah. You, you, that's a good analogy as well. You know, um, and 20, I mean, fucking, you know, you know three, it, <laughs> who knows? And it's, and it's, it's like, so you're basically, you're playing a very, very different game and you have to, you can't force that game on people. People have to sign up for it to go, okay, my expectations are different because we're shooting this on film. And yes, it'll be slower. Yes, there will be less. Um, yes, like, but so so it's 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 just it's entirely different. It's it's not like um, there is no one is better than the other. There is no this over that. They're just very very different games, and they both have an incredible place in what we do and documenting mm. stuff. You know, um, but that, that they're they're essentially wildly different games. And I would just say if you like, if you want to shoot hybrid stuff at a wedding, it's it's quite hard to move between the headspaces. Like what Soph and I often do is like say one of us will shoot analog and one of us will shoot digital um, because then you can stay in that space all day long. Mm. Uh, but it's, it, that, that's a, that's an enormous privilege and, and, you know, um, that's like, it's a very luxurious thing to be able to be able to do. Oh, um, absolutely. So, so, you know, don't get me, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, but it's also like if, if you are going to shoot, sneak in some analog, at a wedding, I'd just say choose the weirdest, shittest, most unreliable old machine that you can find that gets a result that, that can't be got any other way and shoot that mm. because you, mm. you're covering all of the other – you're covering the percentage tennis base with your with your digital machine, which which fulfills an incredible role and does a thing that you can't get any other way. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like you can push the boat out um, and, and do risky things with digital stuff that you probably won't do with film in the moment because you suddenly realize like it takes enormous balls to, to be experimenting with film on someone's wedding day mm. because that's, that's really when you find out what you're made of because, mm. um, because you know, like you, you suddenly most, most of the time you will start to play a really safe game to just be like, shit, I need to, we need to lock this down. We just need to get some good stuff. We need to expose well. We need to frame well. I need to not run out of my budget of rolls. I need to blah, 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 blah. I need to make sure I'm not caught with black and white rolls in the camera when I need when I need color rolls in the camera. I need to make sure that I'm not at the end of a roll when action's about to happen, but I'm at the start mm. of a roll. I need to make sure I haven't burnt through too much. I need to stay inside my roll budget, stay inside my roll budget, you know. Um all this, all this kind of stuff. I need to be noting down. I need to be keeping my rolls numbered. I need to be making sure 
when am I pushing? When am I not pushing? You know, what's, how's my light situation? How's my film speed? So there's all these things going on that means that it's very natural to play a safe game with what you're doing. Um, and the thing is that like, yeah, we, we roll, we push the boat out with shooting film with, with, with wedding couples. There's no doubt, probably too far, but, um, <laughs> but like when you're, <laughs> when you're shooting in your development as a visual artist, when you're shooting digital and you have an automatic, like instant feedback loop of developing ideas on the spot, it allows you to like really figure out what your voice is and how are you, how are you telling the story really well? And when you take that over to analog, you have to, you have to have a level of confidence and a level of understanding about how you tell stories, which isn't just like you've fluked it. You really have to know if you want to take that into the analog world, you know, um, I don't even know what I'm saying here. I'm just, all I'm saying is that like they both have this incredibly important place of teaching you who you are and what you're trying to make, you know? Um, but, yeah, but totally. Yeah, uh, yeah. End of, end of rant. Who knows? Yeah. That's, that's, that's a fantastic rant. I mean, um, I think that's a pretty good, at least to cap this off now, but uh, like that's, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Like the whole, the whole point, and I'll say this so many times, but the whole point, of starting this, which, you know, and, and you know, and the, the goalposts changed after I decided that I was going to do it during this bloody pandemic, um, is that I feel like there's just so much, the collective knowledge that we all have, I think is so, there's so much that we all know about different things and just being able to have, you know, inside and outside photography and just being able to have that kind of conversation, especially right now, I think is really important. Um, if there's, if say, if you had three things that you were like, you know, three things that you would uh, recommend sole operators, photographers like us to be doing in the next sort of two to three weeks while we basically can't do much else, what do you reckon they would be? Three things. I think number one, don't, don't run from the problems. Don't run yeah. from the obvious problems. Like get, like, like be absolutely courageous and like, Call your landlord today and be like, "Hey, um, we're fucked. Like, what's, what's, what can we do?" Or call your, call your bank today. Call your whatever. Like, um, call call brides who maybe are hanging on and not canceling. Just be courageous and deal with, deal with the problems up front. And I, I promise you that if you've got some hard phone calls to make, um, or hard emails to send, like, you will, you, your courage will grow every single one that you do. You know, you will, you'll be, and by the end of the day, you'll be standing tall and just thinking, who cares what happens? We can deal with it. Yep. That is not, that is, that's the number one thing. Um, the number two thing is like, like take good care of yourself. Like the internet is not your friend right now. And I know that it, it brings, right now it's our friend. It's bringing us together and we're doing this amazing thing online. But, but, but generally like to, to, you know, to quote Werner Herzog, the mighty Werner, <laughs> batshit crazy Werner, you know, like he, that documentary he made about the internet, you know, um, as he was talking to people who, who were involved in the early days of things and seeing what it's turned into, there was this constant growing unease where people were saying, you know, will this turn out to have been a good thing or have we done a bad thing for mankind? And everyone be like, no, the internet's incredible. We can never go back to being unplugged. Well, I don't know. It's hard to know. There's a lot of, to there's a lot of toxicity. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of people just tapping into, into you, just flooding you with information that you probably don't even need right now. Here's the thing. Turn off. Just turn that shit off. Like give yourself a bit of time 
on the endless scroll every day. Give yourself a bit of time on the emails and then turn it off. Literally turn your phone off. Um, the thing is just an aside from that. The thing that I actually really like about podcasting is that, yeah, we're doing this right now because of the internet. Like we're able to connect. Like I was able to connect with you. You know, we haven't met IRL, you know, like uh, there's lofty plans that one day we'll be able to hang out somewhere, but in the world, but, um, you know, we've not met IRL and that's great. But the thing that I, one thing I really like about podcasting is, yeah, the internet allowed us to create this and it allowed whoever is fucking listening to this to be able to download this. But, you know, you download it and then listen and go deep. And this is a nuanced conversation. This is a, this is not a one, two, three, bang, bang, bang. Make sure you have your hot lemon tea and fix coronavirus. There we go. End of story. It's, not that this is a science podcast, but do you know what I mean? It's not, this is a, this is a nuanced, long, deep conversation. And I feel yeah, like yeah, this making, is a good thing that the internet is doing, but yes, you're totally right. We're, we're making, we're making radio, you know, we're making radio. Basically. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, my point is that like at, at times like these, like human beings need physical things and, and screens aren't necessarily your friend. Um, mm. The idea of a, a, a bottomless digital disaster out there isn't your friend. Read books, touch things, touch people, garden, grow some cuttings, like paint, pick up <laughs> yeah. your camera, do a thing, pick up your camera and go shoot some shit and don't upload it and process it. You know, just leave it on your camera or to clear your card at the end of the day, shoot a roll of film. Do it. Of course I say that, um, you know, play some, play, some music, <laughs> play a record. Like, like you would be amazed at, like, let me tell you about how, like how it works. Just the, the very simplest analogy, the, the sun, um, the sun is a the sun is a star, right? Like, um, I mean, I'm just gonna get let me get some mass here. Here we are. Like, how far is it? 140, 150 million kilometers away, right? Um, like it's like so far away. The light from the sun takes eight minutes to reach us, and it's traveling at 186,000 miles an hour, like 300,000 kilometers an hour. It takes eight minutes to reach us. You like the shit that's bathing us in light right now is starlight. It comes from a star that's dying in the middle of our galaxy, firing out light. It travels through the galaxy. It gets to us. And as visual artists, the thing that we capture is we capture that fucking starlight bouncing off stuff, right? It's, this is, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. Starlight on lovers. This is the thing we always, always saying like that's our craft. You should trademark that you should yeah, buy right. that domain now before you turn your internet off today so yeah. buy that domain quickly otherwise some fucker will go and steal it like <laughs> like, like starlight on lovers is, 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 what, is what we do and so and so if you have a think about how how starlight works bouncing off stuff and bouncing into your eyes or bouncing onto film or bouncing into a camera like um it's a very natural human beautiful way of um of seeing and of experiencing light and when you look at a photo book or you read a novel or you are in the garden doing something with a fucking vegetable like it's the same thing that's happening this our craft is starlight bouncing off stuff into the camera or into your eyes and it's the same way that when you read a book starlight comes through the window that's traveled eight minutes from the sun and come through some clouds and fought its way across the galaxy like you know 150 like whatever it was 250 million 150 million fucking kilometers and it's bounced off this book in front of you and into your eyes compare that with like a screen, a screen works like someone shining a fucking torch in your eyes, right? It beams light into, into your optic nerve, like at a bunch of frequencies at a range of the spectrum, you know, um, that, that's, that's not, 
it's not healthy for you and it's not good for you. So there, there is a reason why when you sit down and you flick through a photo book, you feel better than when you scroll through Instagram on your phone. Just the basic physics of how light works means that feels better. And in fact, the basic physics of how light works means that when you do physical things and you're out in the light and you're doing stuff with actual stuff as opposed to screens beaming their shit into you, you're going to feel better. Now, screens, are, yeah, screens, this, this shit is very useful to us, you know, like our lives are very screen heavy. This is, this has been, mm-hmm. screens, screens have brought us wonderful things. So there you go. There's the balance. Dealt with it. But the bottom line is that human beings and physical things are just fucking made for each other. And right now, when it's an anxious time, it's a difficult time, get outside or do physical things, touch stuff, cook, look at books, read books, do, you know, if you've got to do screen stuff, do it every day, but like switch it off and do something physical. And if you think about the reason why, the reason why is anytime you can be doing stuff where starlight is bouncing off something wonderful into your eyes, you're winning. You're totally winning. It's going to make you feel better. And then the third thing. So what have we got? I had three things, right? One, two, three. Yeah, that's it. Oh, the first one's be courageous. Deal with, the, deal with the problems in front of you right now. Get them going on. Second thing is people are made for physical things. Just get some physical shit going on. Just get away from your screens, you know. The internet might not be your friend right now. Um, and the third thing, and it's it's so obvious, but it's just like just talk about it. Just talk to people about Have conversations about it. Don't have anything, you know. Like you might want to talk about the pandemic for three days straight until everyone's sick of it. And then you might want to move on to talking about the perfect scrambled eggs, you know, but just keep talking about shit, you know, like verbalizing and talking about stuff, talk about solving the problems, talk about how much you worry, talk about how great bacon is. Sorry, Ollie. Talk about, it's a difficult, it's a difficult subject. Uh, talk about, talk about new music, talk about your favorite music, just keep talking about stuff, you know, don't descend into a silent world of, 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 inside yourself of thinking about stuff talk just talk talk, talking is just like conversation is fucking magic like there's this idea that like the you know the outside you know your brain's in two hemispheres and there's an outside part and an inside part in each hemisphere and the outside part is the problem solving part and the inside part is the, the thought origination part just to be i'm absolutely massively generalizing anyone who's in neuroscience by the way um, you're a generalist yeah, sorry yeah, like, <laughs> making some more this is a third sweeping i'm actually made yeah, it took it took yeah, us a good 45 complain, minutes to get to your third sweeping generalization of this complain, podcast complain <laughs> complain in the fucking comments you know um yeah. but like yeah but and, the, and then switch your phone off i won't read them basic <laughs> idea of, of the physiology of how your brain works is, is why verbalizing works is because like the only way that the the inside bit the and the problem solving outside bit communicate is through your senses so when you speak something out or you write it down or you look at it or you hear it coming back in you're like you, you you're starting to solve some problems like talk about things write it down paint do whatever exp- do physical things and you'll start to solve this problem. You'll start to solve it. You know, you'll start to be like, actually things are going to be okay. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this to pay the rent this week. We can do this to like, make sure that we've got work in six months time. We can do this to talk to these people. We can do, you know, you can do it. You can totally do it, but just keep talking. Just fucking keep talking. So there you go. Three things. Boom. Mate, where can the lovely people of this internet find your beautiful work? 
baileymore.com is 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 the home of the things that we do and um which is b a y l y m o o r e.com and also like i you know i'm i'm the talky one of of our wonderful little duo and soph is the actual get shit done one so if you wonder what's happening right now while well, i'm ta- i've been talking to you for an hour um <laughs> she's been doing the actual work that keeps our machine rolling so mm. um, yeah but you know like we we we're passionate about the same things it's just that like she's you know for some reason um she is a lot more humble, stoic, quiet, and gets shit done. Will I just have a yarn? Um, yeah, but they're, they're on on Instagram, you know, Bailey Moore. I don't know. Just you, you search that stuff. You'll find that stuff. But it's also like, do you need another wedding photographer? If you're a wedding photographer, do you really need another wedding photographer in your life? Probably no. not. Go, no. find, go find a great editorial person to like and give you, you know, like we're always post. If you follow any of our channels, you'll know that we're always posting people from other crazy disciplines that you should get into. So if you're going to follow, just follow for that alone. And then, and then we'll take you off track on a tangent real fast. Oh, just on a little, you know, inside note, like I, <laughs> when, whenever you share, like so many friends of mine, when they're sharing on their, you know, their, their weddings account, which on my weddings account, cause I have two, like you, you have your personal and then yeah. cause you've got, you know, but I, I'm just a sole operator, but I still have, Morgan Roberts Weddings and Morgan Roberts Photo. Um, and when I'm following awesome people like you on that and uh, the few other friends of mine who share like all the weird crazy stuff on their main, on that account, I have to always go, okay, who the fuck was that? It's actually this extra little level of, of, of investment that I have to have because I have to go, cool, what's that person's handle? And I log in and I switch accounts to my other account and then I search for them and then I follow on that account because I just want that account to be crazy weird shit, you know, the, the, um, you know, the creative diet sort of stuff on that place. And weddings is, is just weddings. I use the inverted commas there. Like yeah, you know, we just I mean, talked about how important that shit is and what it is, but you know, that's, that's I mean, how I reconcile those like, things. I, I think that, you know, and don't get me started on creative diet stuff. I mean, the bottom line here is to sum, to sum up what could be a three hour rant uh, is that it's like, we can do that when we talk yeah. IRL at some point I mean, in the future. You are like, you are what you eat. You are solely the product of what you put into yourself. The stuff that comes out of you is, it's like, I mean, there are so many different pithy little ways of saying this, you know, if if you don't like your output, change your input, you know, like, you know, but you literally are what you eat. Um, And so if you want to make some cool stuff, start putting some cool stuff in. And the natural human instinct is to water shit down. So if you want to, if you want to make something that is vital and potent and sharp and edgy and pithy, you better put some, you better be just start drinking broken glass. So, you know, start throwing some crazy shit into yourself, stuff that makes Mm. you feel uncomfortable, stuff that makes you feel like, what the hell am I even doing with your life? Stuff that makes you want to give up, you know, so long as you wake up in the morning and go, no, I'll keep going. Um, Stuff, stuff that makes you just, be feel slightly uncomfortable and confused and unsure about the craft that you do put that into you now that's a diet that's going to come out of you in some pretty wonderful ways you know challenge yourself constantly or you're just going to end up not challenging anyone else mate this has been such a wonderful conversation and um I wish you both uh, and all who sail in your house right now who, who, who were at that, who were at your place yeah, <laughs> on the night you had to stay at your place. <laughs> yeah, uh, all the best. <laughs> it, was, it was such a, such a great like global, like national alert on your phone from Jacinda. Whoever is sleeping at your house tonight has to stay sleeping at your house. That's who <laughs> you are with. It's like, okay. It was just a really nice like family way of saying, we're shutting the doors, team. Like, <laughs> you better be on board. Yeah. Okay, stay safe, mate. I'll see you later. Game on.